Our scripture reading this morning comes as we continue through the book of Philippians. We are in chapter 3, and we'll begin this morning with our reading in verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many live as examples of the cross of Christ, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let us be in prayer. Dear Lord, you have given us this wonderful passage from Scripture this morning. As Pastor Mike comes forward, we pray that the message that you have given to him to share from this will enlighten our hearts, will touch us in ways that we uh, may not have imagined, and will just open us up to the things that you have for us and the messages and and words that you have for us to, to know and to learn. So, Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes and our ears so that we may receive your message, and it may be then shared with others as we go throughout our day and our week so that your word will become clearer to not just ourselves, but to everyone that we know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think the tech team's pretty much betting I'm going to fall off this thing today. Go over here where I have a little bit more room to work. Good morning. So good to be at worship with you today. How fired up are you? I mean, you hear, I heard the kind of the beginning of our, our uh, worship service this morning with the bells and, and then that wonderful uh, little spiritual that the choir sang. Fantastic. As you can tell, this is a special day in our church. If you're not part of our normal worshiping congregation, there's going to be a lot more bells at 4 p.m. this afternoon right here in our sanctuary. You're all invited back to that. It is a wonderful uh, day of praise. Um, you've read a couple other things in your bulletin. You see Pastor Keith is not with us today. He's out uh, in, in a fantastic weekend experience of training him uh, on how to help young couples, specifically men, uh, grow in their faith and, and, and uh, work through issues and such in their, in their early marriage. And I really want to point you to one thing. Um, June 2nd, we'll be having a day of prayer which is very important to our congregation. So I hope that you'll be pointing towards that, reading that information around it. And one other preparatory remark before I begin this talk today. You know, for more than 20 years, I've been strapping one of these things to my uh, uh, belt, uh, various kinds of lapel and and, uh, wireless speakers. And I finally, two weeks ago, joined the club. It finally happened to me. I had always protected myself so this would never happen, but it finally happened. 
Here in the congregation, prior to the 945 service, everybody heard what me and one of my other congregation members were saying in the lower-level men's restroom. It was awesome. (laughs) It was awesome. And, of course, I came up the hallway, and I was met by someone saying, Your microphone's on! And I'm like, No way! That can't possibly happen. That's never happened to me. But what had happened... There was a little boy in the same restroom who said, what is that? And so I leaned down, and he kind of touched it. And of course, he's a boy, so the buttons he pushed. Well, you heard the rest. So the, the, uh, <laughs> so there are a lot of things in ministry that are awesome. And then there's stuff like that. So... Uh, <laughs> So as a couple of my pastoral friends told me Monday morning when I was telling them the story, they said, welcome aboard. Uh, it was in the narthex of the church, and this 30-year-old woman, or 30-ish-year-old woman, literally rushed. I mean, she was full-speed, high-heeled clip to this other woman who is about 60, very distinguished member of our congregation there in Colorado Springs. And she walked up to her, and she just grabbed her by the shoulders and said, Marilyn, you are a perfect Christian. You're a perfect Christian, Marilyn. And I was within earshot of this, and I, and I looked, and there was this long pause. I, I mean, that's not a descriptor most of us picks for themselves, right? I mean, you know, we don't, we don't say, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, right? Do you remember that old song? That, that's not how we describe ourselves. So, so here I was viewing these two women in the narthex, wondering what the, what the one would say to the other, And there was this long pause, and she simply said, thank you. I thought, wow, curious, great, awesome, but but perfect. And then Marilyn said this, you have to know that I am trying to be perfect. We are all supposed to be working to be perfect if we're following the Lord Jesus Christ. Ah. She turned it right to the scripture that Vicki read a few moments ago about mature Christians or some of the older versions of the Bible that talk about being perfect. You see, mature Christians are not perfect, but they are working towards it. Mature Christians are not perfect, but they are working towards it. I remember in the movie, um, Remember the Titans. There's a halftime scene. It's like every sports movie you've ever had. Somebody's behind, somebody's ahead. And they're in the, sport, in, in, in the movie... The, the coach is saying, it's okay, you know, we're getting beat a little bit, but you should be proud of yourselves. And the captain, Julius, stands up and says, Coach, with all due respect, that's not right. You asked us to be perfect. And so we should demand perfection of ourselves. That is what the Christian is to demand of themselves. Perfection. We're to be straining toward perfection in all that we do, pursuing that in all that we do, pursuing being completely and totally in Christ. For when we are completely and totally in Christ, that is when we reach perfection. John Wesley said of this subject, perfection can either define the journey to perfection, it can either define the journey to perfection, or the state of perfection. Now, perfection is something that we need to be looking at very closely as Christians because what perfection means 
to the Christian believer is purity of intent in all things. Is to have our hearts completely and totally, purely centered on Jesus. Dedicating all of our life to God. Loving God with our all. All of our mind, our strength, our soul. You know that. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. But understand this, as we seek that state of perfection that you see on the screen before you, the perfection does not mean that you'll have perfect health. It doesn't mean that you'll have perfect judgment. It means that we're pursuing purity of intention with Christ. Perfection also is not a removal of temptation. It doesn't matter who you are. The Lord Jesus Christ faced temptation Perfection is not a removal of temptation. It's not a removal of sin in our world or the lives. Nor does it remove the need that we all have to receive forgiveness and request that forgiveness. It is perfection of intent. Of putting our hearts and minds purely and intentionally towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Choosing to live a life that's pursuant of God's will. So mature Christians are not perfect, but they should be working towards that. Now, one of the things that they begin working towards that is to act upon what we've already received. So often I see us hesitant to to, to act upon what we've already received. We get sidetracked by an unending search for truth. I've met person after person that was uh, afraid of of standing in front of a group or, or, or praying here or teaching a class or even just calling someone up and saying, hey, I have a witness to give into the situation you're at because they didn't feel like they had enough information. They've been going to church for 20, 30, 50 years, but, but they were sidetracked because they didn't think they knew enough. And so often you will hear people say in regards to their Christian faith, and I hear it frequently, I don't know enough, therefore I can't do that. Now, let's just look at our lives. I mean, even our specific lives. What if, just play along with me here. What if our parents thought to themselves, until I know everything there is to know about parenting, I'm not going to have children. (laughs) It'd be an empty place in here today, wouldn't it? And and the same of, of us too, any of us that became parents. If we'd have waited to know everything there is to know about parenting... You're like 90 when you figured it out, right? And and then you start forgetting it, right? (laughs) That's what the 90-year-olds at first service told me. And I look at my faith guides. And I know for a fact that some of my guides in faith did not have everything in their life put together. But as they sat around my table when I was young, as they taught me in Sunday school, as they coached me on athletic fields, as they met with me in confirmation and all that sort of thing. I know that they didn't have life all figured out, but they had what they had, and they were willing to act upon what they have. Where would we be if our faith guides had chosen not to act upon what they already had received from God? We're here because they did act upon it and they blessed us with it and we're able to pass some of that on. So, so see, we, we, we have to make no excuses. I mean, this is an important Christian dynamic here is we are to make no excuses about how much we have yet to learn. 
We all have a lot yet to learn, but we don't need to make excuses for how much we have to learn. You never make an excuse when you're a freshman in high school that you don't know college calculus. You haven't learned it yet. You shouldn't be responsible for that. But you do have to know algebra. I remember years ago, Teresa was actually on a trip to Europe with her parents. And so I was home uh, with the two little children that, that I was privilege to to raise in my house but when mom's gone for seven or ten days there comes a time when you need to do some laundry i mean they'd ward all their pretty little dresses my dress shirts were gone it was time to do laundry i said girls we need to do laundry both of them protested but daddy we don't know how to do laundry i said you know how to do part of it daddy's up here i can get all the chemicals and get the stuff in the thing but you can help with the laundry. And one of them, I remember, she stomped her foot and she said, But Daddy, I'm just a little girl. I don't know how to do laundry. And I says, But you do know how to pick up dirty clothes. Carry them down the, the steps and put them here in the basket. See, we protest sometimes. We make excuses for what we don't know so that we end up not doing anything. You start where you start. But you don't privilege. You're not privileged to stay there. I always get a kick out of the story that uh, one of the starters told me at the Drake Relays once. Years ago, he was firing off the gun. It's the Drake Relays. You know, that's some of the, the, the most prestigious, you know, race that you can be in. And there was a high school runner from a small school in Iowa who had never seen that many people. <clears throat> and they didn't know what it was like to run in front of them. And so on your marks, get set, bang, and the kids stood there in the blocks and didn't run the open 400 meters. And he felt bad and stuff like that, but he was overheard, if the legend is true, and I don't know that it was. He says, Coach, I didn't know what to do. I'd never seen this many people around, and the coach just said, Son, it's 400 meters every time there's these lanes. You know what you know, just run. Just run. We know what we know. And all that God ever asks us to do is to be faithful to what we already know. See, Christian maturity is acting upon and living out the things we already know and then continuing to accumulate things as we go. But if we don't act upon what we already know and live out what we already know, are we really Christians? Are we just people that know about who the Lord Jesus Christ is? So mature Christians are not perfect, but they should be working towards it. We act upon what we already receive, and we seek to be a good example of Christianity. See, one of the things that Paul says that seems a little haughty, if you're not real familiar with the, with the book, Paul says, look, if you don't know what to do, you, you guys that have been in Disciple Bible study know what he says next. Hey, if you don't know what to do, just do what I do. Just do what I do. Now, that sounds kind of like high and exalted and thinking you're pretty full of yourself. But understand this. Paul doesn't say that because he's so full of himself. The fact of the matter was that the Gospels hadn't been circulated yet by the time Paul is writing this letter to Philippi, to the Christians in Philippi. So what he's saying is, we don't have the books yet, but here's a three-dimensional example. So if you want to know what a Christian looks like, just look at me and follow, follow me. 
He's not saying necessarily copy everything I do. But what he is saying is that my life is so completely and totally focused on Christ. And I am so pointing myself to seeking to be pure in my intentions and perfect in that which I I do. I encourage you to follow that. And it does mean that as I do the things that I do in obedience to Christ, so should you do. It's not that he's so full of himself. It's that he's trying to be a good example of Christianity to them. The template, such as it was, is right here in front of you. Model your life after mine. Now, I've, I've long said in preaching that it is important to be inspirational. It's important to be informational. And at the same time, when we come to the second part of the talk, inspiration and information don't go very far unless there's some instruction coming alongside it. So, so let me take a few minutes to give you some instruction. And, and I'm not really cute at these ex, acrostics or whatever they're called. But it happened that it lined up that I have three M words. Three M words today to share with you about how you can be a good example in faith. How you can be a good example in faith. The first one is mature. Mature in your faith. You know, one of the most tragic things that I teach confirmation students every year, standing right here in this spot, is I say, you know, there's a tragedy in the North American Christian community that most, and this is documented, that most 31-year-olds have the same faith, level of maturity, and so forth, as they had when they're 13. Most of my confirmants are 13 or 14. And we simply can't grow like that. If you're still having the same faith at 31 that you had at 13, you're not maturing in the least little bit. The idea of the Christian faith is, you guys remember this hymn that are at 8.30, Onward Christian Soldiers, you don't stand still. You're marching, you're marching, you're moving forward. Maturity is a growing thing. Now we know that in a lot of ways our bodies mature just as we keep waking up every day. But our spirit and our mind and our faith matures when we pursue after that, that maturity when we intentionally and incrementally, in, incrementally it's easy for me to say we bit by bit you know we intentionally and incrementally stake more on Christ every single day incrementally more and more on Christ every single day secondly Model your faith. We heard a little bit about what Paul does. He models his faith. You see, everyone I've ever known and everyone I've ever seen is a role model. Did you know that? You know, if you're not invisible, you're modeling something to somebody. And none of us are invisible. So we're always modeling. I told you about the conversation with Marilyn Fink and one of our young women years ago. But I sit down in the current age, every time that I sit with a couple that's pursuing marriage, either here or in a celebration that we're doing through the ministry of our church, two of the first few questions that we ask them are, who are your role models in marriage? I mean, they want to get married. So who do you look to? If you, who do you look back and say, man, if, if I'm going to get married, I'd like my marriage to be just like theirs. Or I see some things in that marriage that I'd really like to ingest into ours. Who are your role models for marriage? And secondly, I always ask them, who are your role models of Christianity? When you say, if I'm a Christian or if I'm to be a Christian, 
That's the kind of person, the Christianity, I would, I would love to have. I ran into this just a few months ago. I was sitting here on an occasion at First United Methodist Church, and I was talking to one of our young guys, a 30-something-year-old. I was talking to him about his faith and stuff like that, and I said, you know, you know who are your role models? He says, that's easy. I just watch, and then he inserted one of your names, one of the men of our church. So I just watch what they do and I figure that's the way you're supposed to do it and then I go do that. That's role modeling. You know what's interesting? Those two guys don't know each other. They just know about each other. You're role modeling your faith no matter where you find yourselves. See, folks are looking. Folks are looking at you all the time. I, I was kidding our confirmation students last year about acolyting. You know, they say, well, Pastor Mike, when I carry the cross and the flame down, I get so nervous because everybody's looking at you, looking at me. I'm like, yeah, they're looking at you. Don't mess it up. I do, don't I? I said, don't mess it up. They're all looking at you. When, when we're living our life, when we're carrying the cross of Christ in our own lives such as it was, when, when we have the flame of Christ that burns in our lives, yeah, People are looking at us. So, so live it out and, and seek er, to do everything you can to live up to Christ's model of servanthood and sacrifice. And the third M word I want to share with you after maturing your faith and model your faith is mentor others in your faith. Mentor others in your faith. You see, people need mentors. I was driving over the Grand Mesa once, which is a highway out in western Colorado. We were actually on vacation and I was driving my little forerunner, four and we had the kids in the car, and we were going camping and stuff. And I'm, you know, in Colorado, a lot of roads like this, up and down the mountain. And I see this, this Honda, this little Honda come firing up behind me. And I mean, it's right on my tail. And, you know, which is inappropriate when you're in a mountain road, unless you're used to them all the time. And then this guy starts beeping me, and he pulls up beside me. And he's beep, beep, beep. I'm thinking, okay, fine, the camper's on fire or something. And I look down, and this is a friend of mine. I hadn't seen him in like five years. And, and, I, and he motioned me off to one of these pull-off things. And I got out of my car and said, Bill, what's going on? I thought my car was on fire. I really did. I ran around my car. He says, no, no, no. He says, I saw the Iowa plates, Mike. And I knew it was you, because who else would be out here? <laughs> it's true. And I said, but what's up? He says, look, there's an industry coming that you've never heard of. But it's going to be huge. And you'd be good at it. I want you to come to work for me. I said, what are you talking about? He says, there's this industry called life coach. He says, you know, you sit and listen to people and you try to give them guidance and advice about the various pieces of their lives and help them towards success. I said, Bill, that's called pastor. He said, no, there's this thing called life coach and people are going to pay us a lot of money to do that. And he says, I want you to come back from Iowa and, and start working with me and he went on to tell me about how people desire mentors. And, you know, and they do. And, and incidentally, Bill has 50 people working for him now out of his South Denver office. And that whole idea of life coaching and mentoring has just exploded. Because we need coaches. We need mentors in our lives. Many of you have had mentors in your workplace. I was sitting eating pancakes with somebody yesterday down at the Heritage Center. And they were talking to me about the mentor they had. In the many years they worked at Rockwell, an engineer that was about 20 years older than them that kind of guided them along the course of their path. 
And the Christian life is such a way that we need mentors in our faith, people that can help us, people that can guide us, people that can shape us. One of the key factors and components of this camp that Stan Wearson started years ago, the Summer Games movement, is the idea of near-peer mentors. Young people that can look at junior high students and college students and help mentor them in the Christian faith. And one of the outpourings of this thing, not that Summer Games is perfect, it's not. It's obviously not. I'm involved in it, so it can't be that great. But um, is that these college campuses now have these places where kids that want to live outside the norm of whatever's going on in the college campus can collect and feel embraced and invited and encouraged. And we have a lot more people rising up to that just because they've mentored each other and are being mentored by each other. The Pew Research put out just a few months ago, get this statistic specifically if you're a woman, 70% of the women in the United States of America desire to have another woman that is their life coach or mentor for life, profession, and faith. That, that, that's, you can go look that up. It's out there on the internet. 70% of the women, and guess what? If you're below 35 years of age, that number goes higher. People desire mentors. Men, we've always liked mentors and coaches. And here's the thing. If you're called to be a mentor, understand that mentors and coaches need not be perfect. They simply need to be people that are striving for perfection. And when we strive for perfection, we have this long view of human life. For the Christian is always to be a resident uh, in, in the world, is always a resident alien. Our core values do not fit the world in which we live. We have values that talk about wholeness and love and kindness. That's not the core values of the world. And the values of Christianity, the passion of Christianity, the obedience of Christianity is not a great fit with the world. And therefore, which is what Paul talks about, we are alien in the world in which we live. So the Christian in the world is a resident alien. And the church is to be a colony of believers of another kingdom. See, that's the vision of the church. That people that are feeling alien have a place to gather together in shared vision and shared beliefs and be encouragers to others who are feeling alien in the culture we live in and inviting even more that are out there feeling alien but not knowing and having a place to, to, to come with. And it's a place, the church is always to be a place where there's this expectancy of a Savior who brings all things under control. You see, the Christian in the world is always going to be a resident alien. And the church is going to be a colony of believers who are citizens of another kingdom because we are all citizens of destiny. Here's the thing about aliens. Every alien has a home. It's just elsewhere. We sing this song at 11 o'clock and 9.45 all the time. There's hymns that go along with it, but, but, the, but the words are, this is not where I belong. This is not the place where I belong. But see, destiny always prevails. You see, soon and very soon, we know not the hour or the day. We not know, do not know the moment. But soon and very soon, those of us who are citizens of destiny shall come face to face with our Lord and we shall be at one with him. Until then, until then, we pursue perfection with every single thing we've got. Let us pray. Lord, our God, as we come now to the moments of communion, we ask, O oh Lord, that we might be fruitful and faithful for you, that we might model our faith, that we might mature, 
in our faith and that we might mentor others. In Jesus' name, amen.